Our reading this morning is taken from Mark chapter 14, verse 32 to verse 43. Mark chapter 14, verse 32 to verse 43. And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John. And he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at end. Verse 43, we read that. And immediately while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs, from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Let's come before God and ask for his mercy. Heavenly Father, I do pray with the hymn writer that may your beauty rest upon me as I seek the lost to win, and may they forget the channel, seeing only you. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would help me with the preaching of your word, that I would preach this word as your living and faithful word. Help me, Father, to speak clearly as I ought. Help me, Lord, to declare your word boldly as I should, not as a word of man, but as the word that it is, the word of the living God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, over the last three weeks, uh, we have been looking at Mark's account of the experience of our Lord Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we've been asking a very simple question. What does the experience of Jesus in Gethsemane teach us about our relationship with God and our relationship with one another? In the first message, we learned that Gethsemane teaches us that Jesus is God who has come to suffer emotionally as one of us and for us. In the second message, we learned that Gethsemane teaches us that the perfect obedience of Jesus saves us from our disobedience against God. 
In the third message we looked at last week, we learned that Jesus has come to experience our alienation from God in order to restore our company with God and with each other. So those are the three things we have learned so far. We've learned about the emotional suffering of Jesus. We've learned about the perfect obedience of Jesus. And last week we looked at how Jesus, the fellowship of Jesus, how Jesus restores our company, our fellowship with God and each other. Today is the final sermon in, in looking at Gethsemane. And what I want to do this morning is to finish our time in Gethsemane by looking at what Gethsemane as a whole reveals about the beauty of our Lord Jesus Christ. My goal this morning is very simple. I want to encourage you to gaze on the beauty of Jesus and to look to his beauty, to enjoy his beauty, and to allow the beauty of Jesus to satisfy you every day, not to look to the beauty of the world, that the world promises, or the beauty even of yourself, but to look to the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ. So please turn with me and we'll look at, just scan these verses again. In some sense, this sermon is a bit of a summary, but I hope it's more than simply a summary. It is reminding us of, uh, it is pointing us and reminding us of important truths that we may not even have touched on. So turn with me to Mark chapter 14, verse 32 uh, to verse 43. And there are three things here uh, I believe that this passage reveals about the Lord Jesus Christ. The first thing is that the, the Gethsemane reveals the beauty of who Jesus is. Gethsemane reveals the beauty of who Jesus is. That's the first thing I want us to see in this passage. Now they say that light shines brightest in the darkness. And it is definitely true, especially with the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the light of the world. The darkness of Gethsemane, as we look at the darkness of Gethsemane, it reveals the shining beauty of Jesus as the only person in existence who has in himself the unity of contrasts. What do I mean by that? In Gethsemane, we see that Jesus is 100% human. Uh, we see him here in this passage collapsing to his knees to, as he begs God for help. And he's begging God really like the rest of us. Let's look at verse 32. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. Jesus has come to pray just like we pray. Look at verse 35. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed. So the humanity of Jesus is first of all revealed by the fact that he prays. We also see our Lord Jesus here, not just praying like one, as one of us, but we see Jesus being battered by the relentless winds of emotional and mental suffering. Uh, Jesus in Gethsemane, we've seen already, uh, goes through a suffering that is even worse than we experience, many of us, in our, in our lives. In fact, than we experience all of us in our lives, really. Uh, verse 34, And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Jesus is crushed 
um, by, by, the, by, by the experience that he's going through in Gethsemane. And the reason he's crushed is because Jesus is fully human. All of these things we're seeing, verse 35, when he prays, when he agonizes in verse 35, we are told, and going a little further, he fell on the ground. Uh, he's falling, he's collapsing to his knees. Why? Because all of these things are showing us that the blood of Jesus bleeds red, like the rest of us. Jesus is unrepresent human. He is our man. He wears our flesh. At the same time, Gethsemane shows us that Jesus is unrepresent God. We have seen throughout Mark that Jesus acts in our world as only God does. And we see it again here. Uh, we see in Gethsemane that Jesus has foreknowledge that only God has. Let's read verse 41 to verse 43. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough, the hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And verse 43 says, And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. And we'll look at that passage next week, particularly verse 43. But the point I just want us to see uh, this morning is that Jesus here knows every detail of his betrayal. He's not being taken by surprise. That's why verse 43 starts with immediately. Jesus has seen what's going to happen to him. He knows exactly what's happening. And he's able to know every single bit of, every detail of his betrayal because Jesus is and represent God. Indeed, the title he uses in verse 41, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners, as we explained last week, shows us that Jesus is fully God, fully God and fully man. If you like, as we see Jesus on his knees uh, uh, there in verse 35, as he collapses to his knees and as he's calling on God, he calls, what does he call God there? He calls God in verse 36. He says, Abba, Father. He's calling God his intimate dad. As we see Jesus call God his intimate dad in Aramaic, we are listening in to a conversation not only between man and God, we are listening to a conversation between two members of the Holy Trinity. God the Son is on his knees calling God the Father, Abba, Father. You see, in his divine essence, Jesus is fully God. Jesus constantly swims in an eternal flowing river of love from God the Father and God the Spirit. And as a member of the Holy Trinity, our Lord Jesus lives in a union that oozes out love that never rends. Jesus is always loving and always being richly loved by God the Father and God the Spirit. And this, beloved, is the mind-boggling beauty of Jesus here in Gethsemane. Because Jesus is revealing to us that he is fully God and fully man. He is one person with two separate natures sitting in perfect unity. As I said, that the darkness of Gethsemane reveals the shining beauty of Jesus as the only person in existence who was in himself the unity of contrast. 
is both God and man. I want you to think about that. Think about the beauty of the unity that is within the person of Jesus. In his body, infinity sits with finitude. Eternity shares life with the temporal. Eternal glory coexists with human garbage. Eternal joy lives next door to human sorrow. Omnipotence walks side by side with human weakness. In Jesus, omniscience and ignorance live and walk together. Immutability and mutability share the same home in his body. As my favorite Puritan Stephen Shannox writes almost in worship, he says this, What a wonder that two natures infinitely distant, distant should be more intimately united than anything in the world. That the same person should have a glory and a grief, an infinite joy in the deity and an inexpressible sorrow in the humanity. That a God upon a throne should be an infant in a cradle. That the thundering creator be a weeping bear and a suffering man. That full expression of mighty power should sit with condescending love. Beloved, the beauty of Jesus, Shannon says, astonishes men upon earth and angels in heaven. You see, in Gethsemane, we are gazing on the breathtaking beauty of Jesus as God in human flesh. The one weeping before the Father is God in human flesh. So that's the first beauty we see in Gethsemane. Gethsemane, first of all, reveals to us the beauty of who Jesus is. The second truth I want us to see here, the second revelation from Gethsemane, is that Gethsemane reveals to us the beauty of what Jesus is like. The beauty of what Jesus is like. That's our second observation. You see, as we go through Mark, as we've been going through Mark, and as we go through other gospel accounts, one thing strikes us, doesn't it? There is no mention of what Jesus looks like. Nowhere. Have you ever wondered why? Well, why is there no mention of why Jesus, how Jesus looked like? I think, as I've thought about that, I think it is because God wants us to focus on what our Lord Jesus is as a person. God does not want the focus to be on the quality of Jesus' skin, but on the content of his character. God doesn't want us to focus on the door, but what is inside the house. And what content we find inside Jesus when we enter in. As the suffering of Gethsemane unbolts the door of the heart of Jesus, of the perfect heart of Jesus, we see the beauty of his character. We see what Jesus is really like. The beauty that lies underneath. 
First, we see the beauty of his devotion to God. Gethsemane shows us that. Our Lord Jesus loves spending time with God. He started his ministry alone with God in the wilderness. There he was fasting and praying. And since then, we have seen Jesus praying alone in Mark 1, verse 35, before he starts his ministry in Galilee. We have seen Jesus praying in Mark 6, after he fed the 5,000, and before he walked on water. We, we have seen in Mark 9, he goes up to the mountain to pray. And it is there where he's transfigured before the same disciples that are with him in the Garden of Gethsemane. And now we come to the Garden of Gethsemane. We see Jesus again praying. Those words are wonderful. And they invested it too. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. Our Lord is devoted to God. He's devoted to God. And that shows in the way he prays. But also even shows in the content of his prayers. Even his plea to have the cup removed in Gethsemane as he prays that is rooted in his desire and devotion to God. We should never miss that. Look at verse 36. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. He's acknowledging the omnipotence and the power of God. And then he goes on to say, remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. The point I'm trying to make is that the prayer of Jesus here is a holy prayer. It is a plea that is rooted in the desire to be with God. You see, Jesus doesn't want to be cut off from God. That's why he prays for the cup to be removed. He's asking his father, if there is there an alternative to serving sinners without me losing fellowship with you? I have long loved it. I have enjoyed it from eternity past. And I want it to continue. I don't want sin to get in the way of that. Even that prayer, you see, was rooted in the Lord's commitment of being with the Father. He enjoys the fellowship of the Father. He is devoted to the Father. That's what Jesus is like. The second thing we see in Gethsemane about what Jesus is like is that in Gethsemane, we see the beauty also of his inner life. The life of Jesus is filled with the fruits of God the Spirit. I mean, we are lost for words as we see our Lord Jesus here, for example, patiently waiting before God. Patience is one of the fruits of the Spirit. And we see him patiently waiting before God in silence, as God is silent there. He is praying to God, he's waiting patiently before God, even as his prayers are washed away in tears. We are dumbfounded, aren't we, by the faithfulness of Jesus to the end as he gets up to meet Judas. How can Jesus press on knowing the full horror of Golgotha that awaits him? How can our Lord press on knowing that he will be made sin? How can the Lord Jesus press on knowing that he will take on the filth, all the stench of sin on him? 
How can he press on knowing the full wrath of God will be fully poured on him for those three hours? The wrath and judgment of God will be concentrated on his soul. How can he? Well, he can press on because you see, he's faithful to the end. The intense light of the holiness of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane blinds us. Oh, what beautiful inner life our Lord Jesus has beyond comparison. And finally, we see of his character, don't we? In Gethsemane, his character shines through by the way we see the beautiful love he has for followers, for his followers. In Gethsemane, we see his beautiful love for you and I. Look how Jesus gently cares for his disobedient disciples. He has told them to pray. He comes back and tells them, doesn't he? Verse 38. He says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. That's a command from God. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed the same words. Verse 40. And again he came and found them sleeping, found them disobedient, found them not interested in what he has to say. For their eyes were very heavy. They did not know what to answer him. Three times Jesus comes back to check and encourage them. Encourage these disobedient disciples. And he's doing that all in the middle of the greatest emotional and spiritual struggle of his life. Where he says, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Jesus is caring for them even as he's breaking inside. You know, many of us, when we are going through problems, we abandon other believers. We stop going to church. We stop talking to other people. Problems make us become self-centered. That's how we are. That's how we are as human beings. But Jesus is not like that. We never see him here wallowing in self-pity and self-focus. No, beloved, his top concern is always on the disciples. The suffering of Jesus is actually the conveyor belt of mercy towards them. It is the vehicle he's using to even minister more to them in a concentrated way. Jesus is the God who cares for us. He has shrunk to become one of us as a man so that he may bend down his ear to listen to our deepest needs. He has put on the rags of human flesh not to be cared for but to care for you. Jesus is the king that has come not to be served, but to serve. And to be a ransom for many, as reminds us in Mark 10, verse 45. Our Lord Jesus is a king uh, who serves his subjects, who washes their feet and sympathizes with our deepest needs. And he does that more than we know. That is the beauty of his character. In Gethsemane, we see the beauty of what Jesus is like. We see that he's beautifully devoted to God, beautifully, beautiful in his inner life, and beautiful towards you. That is how beautiful Jesus is. 
So two truths so far. We have seen the beauty of who Jesus is. And Gethsemane secondly reveals to us the beauty of what Jesus is like. And finally, Gethsemane also shows us the beauty of what Jesus has come to do. That's the third truth. The beauty of what Jesus has come to do. Gethsemane reveals that Jesus has come as our only mediator between God and humanity. He has come to bridge the gap between us and God. You see, God is nothing like us. But in Jesus, God descends an infinite distance to be with us. He stoops down voluntarily to wear the gown of human flesh. Through Jesus, humanity is brought to God. Because you see, if Jesus were only a human being, he would be at an infinite distance from God, just as we are. And if Jesus were only God, he would be at an infinite distance from us. But as God incarnate, the God-man, Jesus has closed that infinite distance. The beauty of Jesus in Gethsemane is that he has experienced, if you like, is that his experience in Gethsemane, sorry, was not for himself, but for our benefit. He was there as our mediator, as the Godman, as the one who stands in the gap for us. Gethsemane was for our salvation. And so as we look at Gethsemane, we see Jesus suffering emotionally for us. And he began to be greatly distressed and troubled, verse 33. He's distressed in verse 33 and throughout Gethsemane because it is a sneak preview, as we've already seen, of the suffering he later endured on the cross for us. Because right there on the cross, our Lord Jesus drank the full wrath of God designed for us. He became an enemy of God in our place. He was crushed for our sin. Jesus in Gethsemane suffered in anticipation of the future suffering for us on the cross. Jesus in Gethsemane suffered also silently, didn't he? Verse 35 or verse 36. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And yet we never hear God the Father speak even once. Twice already he has spoken. He has spoken on the mountain of transfiguration. And he spoke at his baptism. But there is no voice from God here. Jesus is suffering in silence in Gethsemane. Why? Because it's a trailer for the silence Jesus later endured on the cross. On the cross, he cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there again, God did not answer. And he didn't answer for our benefit. He didn't answer because God was pouring his wrath on him. He was pouring on Jesus the wrath that you and I deserve. God was silent for you, beloved. 
And therefore the beauty of Gethsemane is that our Lord Jesus, knowing full well what was to come, yet willingly obeyed the will of God to suffer on Golgotha in our place. He prayed in Gethsemane, remove this cup from me, and yet he said, yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus willingly submitted in perfect obedience to the Father for us. Jesus passed the test of obedience for us. You know, our Lord Jesus had already triumphed in the wilderness setting where human beings had been banished by God when we rebelled against him in Eden. And now Jesus has conquered in the garden setting where our ancestor Adam felt so miserably on our behalf. Jesus went back we might say. And he went back beautifully. Jesus passing in the wilderness, passing the test in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's done that for us. The perfect submission of Jesus to God allowed Jesus to go to the cross and die on the cross as a perfect substitute for us, for you and I, for sinners. You see, through his sinless death on the cross, our Lord Jesus exchanged his perfect record for our sin. And if you're trusting in Jesus this morning, you now stand perfect before God because of what Jesus has done on the cross. And so there, beloved, is the beauty of Gethsemane. We can summarize it in those three points we've said. First of all, Gethsemane reveals the beauty of who Jesus is. Jesus is a perfect unity of contrast. He's our beautiful God and our beautiful man. Secondly, Gethsemane reveals the beauty of what Jesus is like. Jesus is beautifully devoted to God, beautiful in his inner life, and beautiful towards us, beloved. And finally, the third point, Gethsemane reveals the beauty of what Jesus has come to do. He is the beautiful mediator who restores us back to God through his life, death, and resurrection. That's the beauty of Gethsemane. That's the beauty of our Lord Jesus. So how should we respond to all this beauty of Jesus? Well, we're going to spend all of eternity responding to the beauty of Jesus. In eternity, we'll bask in his beauty and learn more of his beauty, overwhelmed by his beauty. So no single sermon can even begin to flesh out the beauty of Jesus. But here are just three things I want you to think about and apply to, to your life as you think about the beauty of Jesus. I think the first response to the beauty of Jesus is worship. Worship. Let us worship Jesus every day, fully awake to the splendor of his beauty that is so vividly displayed for us here in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know, artists often talk of visual lethargy. They say the more we see something, the less you actually see it. Our hearts get used to, it, to that thing, and we stop appreciating it. And we can all think of many examples where that is true. Oh, beloved, may that not be true with us and Jesus. 
May we not become too familiar with his transcendent beauty, his transcendent glory, and his excellence. I don't want the wonder of the beauty of Jesus to fade away. I don't want to get used to it. I don't want to be dead to his beauty. I want to be like the hymn writer who says, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned and unclean. For me it was in the garden he prayed, not my will but thine. He had no tears for his own griefs, but sweat drops of blood for mine. Oh, how marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. I want to be like that. I don't want to be dead to the beauty of who Jesus is. And if you're a true follower of Jesus, I'm sure you want to have the same sense of wonder as the hymn writer. You want to be amazed at Jesus, at his beauty every day. And Gethsemane, over the last four weeks, three weeks, has been inviting you to, to worship Jesus afresh, beloved. It is calling on us to run to Jesus and confess that you have fallen asleep. Confess that like the disciples, you are sometimes asleep in the light and beauty of Jesus. Confess that what you once found exciting, amazing, strangely sometimes bores you to death. Oh Lord, have mercy on us. Move our hearts to adore your son. Open our eyes so that we can see the beauty of your son as the angels do. That should be all of our prayers every day that God would inflame our hearts to see the beauty of his son. So the first response is worship. The second response is this. If you're trusting in Jesus, take comfort in the beauty of who Jesus is. Take comfort in his beautiful character and what he has come to do for you. There is nothing that Jesus did on earth that he did for himself. Jesus was born, lived, ministered, died, rose from death for your benefit and mine in Christ. The beauty of what Jesus has come to do is for you. You see, in of ourselves, we are vile and ugly creatures. Sin has left its imprint of ugliness on us. But Jesus has come to take on our ugliness and replace it with his beauty. You see, the good news of the gospel is that those who belong to Jesus now share in his beauty. Beloved, this is our comfort in this life when we are beset by sin. In of ourselves, we are ugly. Our sins are ugly before God. The things that captures our hearts are ugly things. The sins we commit shame even us. But the amazing truth of Jesus is that if we are in Christ, we share in the beauty of the God-man. 
We are in union with Christ. We are ugly, but Christ is the beautiful beloved of God. And the good news of the gospel is that we are in him. We are united with Christ now. We are his beloved, even as he is the beloved of the Father. I wonder as you listen to me this morning, are you prone to doubting God? Are you at the moment feeling anxious about life? Are you feeling lonely perhaps during this lockdown period? Or do you find yourself perhaps in a very difficult relationship weighing you down? Are you suffering bereavement? As I know some of us at this moment have. Or perhaps are you looking at your life and you're seeing only struggles and heartache and suffering? Are you beginning to think that God has forgotten about you? That he has somehow given up on you? I don't know what situation you are in this morning. But whatever situation you find yourself in, the answer is Mark 14, 32-43. Take a look at our Lord Jesus in Gethsemane. Here is the death of our doubts. Here are the beautiful tears of Jesus that washes away our tears. If you're trusting in Jesus, you are loved and accepted by the God-man. You are loved and accepted by our mediator. You are loved and accepted by God himself. Not because you have anything in you to commend yourself to God. No. Because of the beauty of Christ. It does not matter what we are in ourselves. It does not matter what our circumstances are. It is what we are in Jesus that counts. Gethsemane says we are loved and beautified in Christ. Gethsemane says we are not alone. Christ is weeping alongside us. Beautiful Christ is weeping alongside us. Gethsemane says beautiful Christ cares for us. So whatever situation you find yourselves in, fix your eyes on our beautiful Lord Jesus here. He is your love, your beauty, your everything. So go to him. Bring all your troubles to him. He is beautiful for you. So Gethsemane challenges us to come to Christ in worship. And Gethsemane is our comfort, isn't it? And the final thing is that let us... Gethsemane then challenges us to continue longing and thirsting for the beauty of Jesus, not the beauty of this world. I think we can spend a long time on this. We don't have time to spend on it. But you know the world, everywhere we look, is promising us false beauty. For some, it's just the way they look, and the world says, if you, have, you look this way, that's great. For others, it's the beauty of somebody they're going to meet. If they have this person who looks this way, and they'll just be happy and that. For, for others, it's just getting out of the house and maybe staring at a wonderful sunset. If they can go on holiday, they look at something nice, some beauty, uh, they'll just feel better. The world promises us all this temporary beauty. But you see, all the beauty the world promises us is fading away. It's what Paul David Tripp calls reflective beauty. It's not intrinsic in of itself, it simply reflects 
the beauty that the Creator, the one who created us, who has infinite beauty, and therefore all the beauty we see just reflects Him. We shouldn't look to those things to satisfy us. Rather, we should look to the beauty of God. David's prayer in Psalm 27 is that he was lo- his longing was to, to look to and gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And the good news of Jesus is that the beauty of God has been revealed to us in the face of Jesus. So let us long to look upon his beauty. Let us allow that beauty not only to, not, to change us, isn't it? Let us allow the beauty to change us. You see, the beauty of Jesus is a transforming beauty. As we look upon his beauty through the eyes of faith, we grow every day to become like Jesus. As we look on Jesus, we begin to uh, look spiritually beautiful outside who we already are inside. In Christ, we are already beautiful inside. But every day as we look upon Christ, we become outside we already are inside. We start hating the ugliness of sin in our lives and start living and longing for the beauty of Christ. My prayer for each one of us as individuals and as a church is that all of us would pray that him would pray that hymn of Katie B. Wilkinson. In that hymn that we all love, she prays this at the end. May his beauty rest upon me as I seek the lost to win. And may they forget the channel, seeing only him. Seeing only the beauty of Jesus. Amen.